Good morning. Uh, very warm welcome to you on a very warm day. Uh, it's great to have you with us, especially if you are visiting us. Uh, please don't rush off afterwards. There will be refreshments served in the back hall, so please do stay uh, just to get to know one another a little bit more to share some time of fellowship. After the refreshments, there will be some, some lunch as well uh, served in the back hall. If you haven't booked for that, uh, don't worry, especially if you're a guest, please do stay uh, for lunch. Uh, we'll be watching uh, the tennis final on the big screen uh, in the afternoon, and there'll be uh, ice cream and strawberries prepared, so what's not to like? Uh, so um, please do stay uh, for that afterwards uh, if you haven't already booked, and especially if you are new to us. As we turn to this morning, we're continuing in our series in Hosea. Uh, sadly, Neil has tested positive for COVID, but thankfully, due to the great technicians that we have here, uh, he'll be coming to us uh, via video. Uh, he'll be preaching to us on Hosea uh, chapter 2 and 3. And the passage in Hosea speaks of God's faithfulness, taking back uh, his unfaithful wife, the people of Israel. Because God is faithful even when we are not. And that's true, really, in our lives. As we turn our backs on the Lord... He never turns his back on us. God is always keen and ready and willing to help us to turn to us when we turn to him. And God demonstrates his faithful love most vividly in his son, his Lord Jesus, as he has given him for our sake, that we can be brought back to relationship with him. The psalmist David captures just the love and the faithfulness of God in the Psalms. In Psalm 13, he says this, And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Let's join our hearts in prayer together. Father God, we are mindful that we have strayed from you this week, that we have walked away from your loving kindness. But as we look to the Lord Jesus, we are mindful of his, of your great love for us, Lord, in giving your son for us. And so help us, Lord, to lay down our sins and struggles and burdens today, that we can come to worship you, the one who has given everything for us. This we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good morning, let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are indeed um, our rescuer. We thank you that we come before you only through the merits of your Son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done on the cross for us. Father, we do thank you for the liberty and the freedom we currently have express our faith openly in the society within which we live. But we do pray for those who do not have that freedom. And Father, we pray for the work of Open Doors. And Father, in particular today for those uh, living in Syria and more widely in Afghanistan where uh, Christians are openly persecuted and the challenges are uh, real and the threats great. Father, we pray for those who step out in faith 
And Father, we pray for the work of Open Doors that you would uh, continue to be pleased to bless them with financial support and prayerful support as they undertake that important work. Father, may we never take the uh, freedom we have for granted. Father, to that end, we do pray for um, those living in uh, Ukraine. We pray for uh, the battle raging and for families and lives torn apart. Father, we do ask that you would give wisdom to those in leadership across your creation. Give them wisdom in uh, the strategy and the tactics to secure peace. And Father, we pray that uh, you would give wisdom to uh, those Christians in Ukraine uh, in how they should um, behave and trust in you. We pray too for those millions of people displaced, um, some of whom now living uh, back in the UK. We pray for them that you would bless them. We pray for those families who have uh, taken um, individuals and families into uh, their own homes. We pray for the challenges of the administration and the emotional challenges of the change that those families are going through. Father, too, we pray for um, our own uh, government. Father, we are acutely aware of the uh, challenges and the fracturing of leadership in the last two or three weeks. And, Father, as the country looks ahead, we pray that you would give us as a nation wisdom. We pray that you would work through the lives of those in positions of leadership to make wise decisions. Father, we pray for a society that increasingly is concerned about the health and well-being of all. And Father, we pray for wisdom for those in positions of leadership, both nationally and locally. Father, afield, further afield, we pray for John and Abby as they soon leave the UK. We ask your blessing upon them for the practical things um, as they seek to uh, depart on the 20th of July. Bless them, we pray. We thank you that their time here has been fruitful and a time of restoration, and we ask your blessing upon them. Keep them safe as they go back out to serve you. Father, we thank you for bringing Bethan uh, back uh, with the children. We pray that their time back here would be a blessing and a time of uh, restoration and um, strengthening. And we ask your blessing upon Tenebu as he uh, remains back at home. We commit him to you. We thank you for the good progress with um, the center and we ask your blessing upon uh, that building program. Father, we do pray for those who um, are poorly within uh, the church family. Uh, there are many and too many to list, but we do commit them to you. And, Father, we thank you our times and their times are in your hands. And we pray that for those that love you, they would uh, call upon you. For those that do not, that this is perhaps the first time that they do. 
Father, we ask your hand of blessing upon Neil. We pray for good recovery for him and ask your blessing upon him as he brings us your word. We thank you for the marvel of technology that allows us to um, do these things, and we thank you for that. Father, we do pray, too, for those who are soon to be baptized. We ask your blessing upon Samantha as she takes that step of faith and public declaration. And later in the year, we pray for uh, Hannah Law and Gregory Kratt as uh, they soon um, step forward, and we ask your blessing upon them. We reflect on days past since uh, we were baptized, and Father, these times are good to uh, reflect on uh, where we have trodden and our uh, passage of uh, life with you. So, Father, bless us today. We ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. Uh, We pray for your hand of protection upon this church and its witness. Uh, We pray for your blessing upon the leadership. And finally, Father, we pray for the church community of which we are a part and the wider community. We uh, pray your blessing upon uh, the village fate next week. We pray that that's uh, a good um, celebration of the community you have uh, all placed us in. And we pray for um, good administration and for the activities the church are running that they would run smoothly. So, Father, bless our time now, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's reading comes from um, Hosea chapter 2 and 3. Israel punished and restored. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and she has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first. For then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take away my corn when it ripens, and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen, intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were to pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. 
I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bars. She decked herself with rings and jewellery and went after her lovers, but she forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and the olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in that land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Hosea's reconciliation with his wife in chapter 3. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about, and, and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Thank you very much, uh, Helen, for reading for us. And um, sorry I can't be with you today, everybody, but... um, very grateful to Ian and the team for making it possible to still be able to uh, uh, be with you in other ways and to still preach from God's word. And before we uh, come to that, let me, let, me, let me just pray. Father God, we do thank you that we can come to you and call you our God. We thank you that we are your people. And we do pray this morning that uh, we would know you better, we would appreciate your faithfulness towards us, and you would encourage us and equip us and help us to live lives that are more faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we live in a part of the world uh, and at a time in history when we are physically and materially incredibly blessed. We have nice homes, nice cars, nice gardens, Supermarkets, which supply all of our needs. And NHS, which takes care of our health. A social 
security system, which um, takes care of our financial problems, a police service, and armed forces that ensure we are safe. At one level, that's wonderful. But at another level, that's quite dangerous because it tempts us to worship, uh, to trust, to love whatever we think is the source of those blessings. If we think the source is our salary, then we will worship our job. If we think it's our government, then we will put our trust in our government and get very worked up when it's not delivering what we think it should. If we think it's ourselves, then we run the risk of becoming full of pride and self-sufficiency, alternatively full of despair. The story of Hosea may seem difficult to relate to with the talk of worshipping Baal and fertility gods, but actually it's much closer to home than we might realise. Last week we saw in the first in the series just how much pain the unfaithfulness of God's people has caused him. And the way in which he demonstrated that to his people was by giving the prophet Hosea a specific mission. We read that in chapter 1, verse 2, where he said, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. That was meant to be a living example being acted out in front of their eyes. Well, this week we see a bit more of what that unfaithfulness looks like. And often it's not a, a deliberate decision to, to turn our backs on God, but we become enticed by other things or people, things that seem to be more attractive, and offer us a satisfaction that we don't think God is somehow able to provide. And often it's when things are going so well in our lives that somehow we don't think we really need God. And we forget that all the many blessings that we enjoy in this life are ultimately provided by God himself. Well, the good news is that although we deserve to be punished for our unfaithfulness, God doesn't give up on us. He remains faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. This morning we're going to look at how he takes us back when we go astray. But first, uh, let's look at the extent of the unfaithfulness of Israel. Israel described in chapter 2 in verse 4 as a mother says that I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. And her mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water and my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. What's the main sin of this mother who we're told has had children of adultery, children from her lovers? Was that she thinks that her lovers are the ones who are meeting her needs. Not just her sexual needs, but all her material needs. Her food, her drink, her clothes, her parties, her possessions. For as an actual fact, it's God who meets all her needs. But as God says, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Last week, we considered sin as being unfaithfulness in our relationship with God, loving other things or people more than God. But the aspect of sin that comes up this week is living as if we don't need God, not acknowledging that everything we have comes ultimately from him. 
when God brought Israel out of Egypt into the, the promised land. He warned them not to forget that everything they had been given was not down to them, but a gift from God. King David was someone who recognized that everything came from God and belonged to him. And when the people of Israel brought their gifts for the rebuilding of the temple, David praised God, saying, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. And he continued, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. It begs the question, doesn't it? To what extent do we think everything we have is somehow ours? That we have earned it? We're happy to give some of it away, but ultimately it, it belongs to, to us. The Bible turns that thinking on its head. It says that everything we have is actually God's. He's given it to us to look after, to be stewards of on his behalf. And he allows some us to use some of it for our pleasure. When was the last time you, you thanked God for all the good things in your life? To what extent are you using the things God has given you for your own enjoyment? Or are you using them to serve God? It's not just our, our money and possessions that belong to God. Our time and what we do with it belongs to God. Are we guilty of the mindset that says, I've done that for God. Now I'll get back to doing what I really want to do with my time. Just as quickly as God has given us things to enjoy, he can take them away. In the book of Job, we read how Job lost his whole family but his response was, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Israel is guilty of thinking that her lover, by which is meant Baal, the Canaanite god of fertility, has given her everything she enjoys. So how does God take back his faithful wife. It's a combination of helping her to see how much she needs him and therefore causing her to want to come back and proactively going after her to rescue her from her waywardness. And there are three aspects to, to that. Firstly, God wins back his unfaithful wife then through his loving discipline. Discipline involves punishment, involves pain, but the purpose of that punishment is teaching, is instruction. It's not retribution. God says about the, the unfaithful mother who wants to go after her lovers in, in verse 6, he says, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Now, one of that sounds pretty mean, doesn't it? Blocking someone's path with thorn bushes so they cannot get through without causing themselves a lot of pain walling them in like a prisoner. But what is the purpose of it? Well, so that she will not stray off and return to other gods. God isn't doing this because he's a killjoy, but because he knows what is best for her. The lovers are a bad influence on her. They are, are taking her away from God, who is the source of all goodness. 
And therefore, she needs to be protected from them. Parents here will know how hard it is to, to discipline your children, particularly as they get older. You'll play, put in place restrictions that stop them from doing something which you know will either be harmful for them or will take them away from God and his church, which is what they most need. Of course, they will see it as you stopping them from doing what they want to do. Your responsibility as a parent is to ensure their long-term spiritual health, to teach them, discipline them in a way that will honour God and enable them to have a relationship with him. Not just give them short-term happiness or make your life comfortable by avoiding any tension. But just as we do that for our children, so God does the same with us as his children. He may cause a short-term pain in order to draw us back to him. How does he do this? How does he protect his people in this passage? By discrediting Baal, showing that he has no power, and causing his people to turn back to him. As the Bible says in verse 7, I will go back to my husband as at first. For then, I was better off than now. Now, this stage doesn't appear to be going back in the sense of repentance, recognizing that what she had done was wrong, but simply thinking about herself, or that she is better off with her husband than no one. But how does God reveal that Baal is a false god and cannot be trusted? Well, by taking away what Israel thinks that Baal has provided, what she thinks is the pay from her lovers which actually comes from God. Verse 9 says, Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. There will then be no reason to worship all at the, the sexually perverse festivals or the religious celebrations. Verse 13, we see there's, there's an element of punishment here in the discipline. God says, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewellery and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. But again, it's still designed to achieve a restoration. But that becomes clear in verse 14, where God says how he will win her back to himself. He says, therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. By taking everything away from her, it's like God has led her into the wilderness where there is nothing, where the couple can be alone and where they can make a new start. It's a reminder of the period when Israel depended on God, having been rescued from Egypt. And having stripped everything away, God will then restore it to make it clear that it all came from him in the first place. He will pour out his covenant blessings again. He will make the Valley of Achor a door of hope. The Valley of Achor was the place where God judged his people because of the sin of Achan. It's a place of discipline and suffering. But from that valley of trouble came hope as God's people were restored. The Bible teaches us that God disciplines those he loves. 
Hebrews 12 quotes from Proverbs. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And then he goes on to say, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. The discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Some of you, I'm sure, will have experienced God's loving discipline in your lives and can look back uh, with gratitude for the, the harvest of righteousness it's produced in your life. I can certainly do that. I remember back in my mid-twenties, God took away many things in my life, things that um, I held dear, my, my job, my girlfriend, my home, my friends. And he did that to make me see that all I've been blessed with actually came from him in the first place. I've become proud and self-centered. I thought I'd earned it all myself. But really, I wasn't responsible for any of it. So having opened my eyes and brought me back to repentance, he then gave me so-called vineyards with greater abundance. A better job, a nice home, new Christian friends, the girlfriend who became my wife. When we go through suffering, it may not always be God trying to tell us something. It may simply be the consequence of living in a fallen world. But given that God works all things for the good of those who love him, will we be filled with frustration and impatience at those times? Or will we trust God knows what he's doing? And that we can learn something from it in terms of growing in Christ-likeness. With the COVID pandemic, for example, what lessons have you taken away from lockdown? When God took away many of our blessings, we so often take for granted. Let's give thanks for his loving discipline and not be filled with resentment. God takes back his unfaithful wife through his loving discipline. And that discipline leads to something more wonderful. Because God also renews the wedding vows. Having opened this door of hope, how does Israel respond? Well, verse 15 says there, she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. When God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, he established a covenant with her, a binding agreement in which he promised to be her God, and she promised to belong to him. It was like a marriage what we see going on now is a renewal of the, the wedding vows that they had made and which God had kept, but which Israel had broken. And it all has the, the freshness of first love about it. After all, it's a new covenant that is being established. It's a wonderful example of irresistible grace. How God draws his people to himself by changing them from within and enabling them to see God for who he truly is, and that nothing can compare with his wonderful love. Once again, Israel will call God her husband. The word here translated master is, is Baal in, in Hebrew, and God is saying, you will no longer worship those false gods who you thought made the lands fertile. You will no longer confuse the, the significant difference between God and Baal. His name will no longer be mentioned. God will transform them. He'll transform them in the way they relate to the world around them. Have a look at uh, 
There's the A scene there with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, the creatures that live along the ground. He'll bless his people by transforming the way they relate to their fellow human beings. Bow and sword and battle will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. Kind of the way they relate to God. Look at verse 19 and 20. These marriage vows renewed again. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In those days when a man and woman got married, the family of the man would pay a dowry to the family of the bride. For a mismarriage, the relationship will last because the payment will be made to the bride. And that payment will consist of those qualities that will last forever for righteousness, justice, love, compassion, and faithfulness. It's another way of expressing the new covenant promise that God will put his law within his people and write it on their hearts. For this relationship will be made possible not by the, the efforts of the bride, but by the goodness of God. And the result of God's betrothing is in verse 20 that his people will acknowledge him. Literally, they will know him in the intimate sense of a husband and wife knowing each other. Chapter 2 finishes with a reinforcement of the reversal of the, the curse of chapter 1, when God says, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Ultimately, there has to be a response. You are my God. I belong to you, not to, to anyone else. So the question for us is, can we say to God, you are my God. I will worship no other God. I will put my trust in no other person or thing. I will be faithful to you alone. Be faithful to God means, in the words of the book of James, to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. As we were saying the other Sunday evening in the seminar on parenting, some of those influences of the world are very subtle and uh, will impact our children, but they will also impact us. Some of those we mentioned were, were relativism, each to his own. doesn't matter really what you believe. Individualism, it's all about me. Emotionalism, well, as long as it feels okay, then it must be okay. Presentism, just living for the moment. Materialism, I, I have to have that thing. Autonomy, no one tells me what to do. I am in charge of my life. Or victimism, it's not my fault. It must be somebody else's fault. God promises to be faithful to us, but we be faithful to him. Well, chapter 2 is God speaking to the nation of Israel and promising to take her back. In chapter 3, we see that again being acted out in the life of Isaiah. And here we see another aspect of what God does in taking back his unfaithful wife. And that is that he rescues her and he redeems her. God's original call to Isaiah was to, to marry a promiscuous woman who would inevitably be unfaithful to him and have children with other men. But the next call is even harder. 
Gema is now an adulteress. She's with another man. The normal situation, that would be grounds for divorce. But God says to Hosea, go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Maybe Hosea was trying to put his failed marriage behind him. Maybe he's trying to focus on, on the children. But now all those old wounds are going to be opened up all over again. Why does God ask him to do this? He continues, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. He is saying, just as I have a right to abandon my unfaithful people because they now love another, I will continue to love them. As hard as it is for you, it is hard for me. And this is now no longer hoping his wife will come to her senses and, and come back to him. This is an active pursuing of his life and rescue wife and, and rescuing her. You may know the, the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son in the New Testament, where the son rejected his father, took his money and went and squandered it on wild living. Well, eventually we're told his, he came to his senses and said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Well, here Hosea is not waiting for his wife to come to her senses. God is not waiting for his people here to come to their senses. He goes after them, like the shepherd whose sheep go astray. And he redeems her, which means he buys her back. I'm not sure exactly why um, that is, given that she's already his wife. Maybe he's clearing her debts. The cost we, we read there is 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley, which is not a, a small amount. And having done so, as I said, out the conditions of their new relationship. He says, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or to be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. You are to remain faithful to me as I will be faithful to you. I'm not told how Goma responds to this at first, whether she appreciates being rescued, whether she even knows that she has been rescued at this point. It may take some time for old habits to be broken. But she is now in a loving environment where that can happen. She has been given hope. And the hope is that she will love him faithfully with her whole heart. The restoration of this relationship is meant to symbolize the restoration of the relationship between God and Israel. And so the passage ends in verse 4 with these words, For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. In other words, without the things that have become a stumbling block in their relationship. Afterwards, it carries on. The Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Just as Hosea has redeemed his wife, so has God redeemed his people. He redeemed them first uh, physically from slavery in Egypt, and he will redeem them spiritually by rescuing them from slavery to sin. 
there will be a price, and it will be a high one. The precious life of his son, Jesus Christ, the son of David. In 1 Peter 1, we, we read this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Wonderful relationship that we can enjoy with God has been made possible because of his love for us. That he was willing to show through the sacrifice of the precious life of his son, Jesus Christ. And when we fully appreciate just how much that cost him, I pray we will live lives of faithfulness towards him, not compromising that relationship through a love of the world, but with a wholehearted devotion to the one true God who has given us a living hope. That's great. Father God, we are sorry where we have been unfaithful to you, where we've trusted in our own strength, we've trusted in other things as the source of our happiness, as the source of our blessings. We're sorry where we've loved them more than we've loved you. We thank you that you haven't given up on us. Thank you that you've come after us. You've enabled us to find a way back to you through your loving discipline and you continue to use your, your loving discipline when we begin to stray away. We thank you for that. We thank you that you have redeemed us through the life of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are no longer ours, but we are yours. We belong to you. So Lord, help us to live lives of faithfulness towards you. Help us to trust in you. Help us to rejoice in you. Help us to be grateful to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just continue um, in a moment of quiet, just reflecting on what what is God saying to us? Where are we looking to for the source of our blessings? Are we looking to God? Are we thanking him? Are the particular things that have become more important to us than to God? And God has been to us. It's a moment uh, required to reflect on that and to say sorry to God and seek his forgiveness. Then in a moment, the group will come up and lead us in our final song. If you'd like uh, prayer, uh, just from what you've heard this morning, how the Lord's spoken to you, uh, please do uh, stay. I'll be available at the front or maybe with the person beside you, the person who came with you. Please do pray into uh, what we've heard today. Uh, the, the lunch invitation, as I say, is very well, very open, especially if you're a guest this morning. So please do stay for that as we spend some time together. Let me close this with, with the words from that song as we think about the goodness of God to us. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever.
Jesus Christ, my living hope. Amen.